Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. Uh, I, I'm not supposed to ask you what's going no, on. No, you, you can ask me what's going on. It's okay. <laughs> there's no, there's no rules. Okay. Well, it's raining here, so that's it's good, good podcast weather. Oh, really? It's uh, yeah. It's like um, it's like a blizzard outside here, which is a little bit stressful because I'm about to get on a plane to Germany. Oh, uh, that's hours. why you're wearing your plane jacket. Yeah, that's why I'm wearing like uh, these slob clothes because. Yeah. <laughs> Just to stay comfortable on the plane. And you're going uh, to Frankfurt. Yeah, I'm going to Frankfurt to kind of work on this interesting project. We're redesigning a creative coding festival called Node, which is a, a weird festival because it's like based on a specific tool, actually, um, like a creative coding uh, platform. Yeah, I, I spoke at the conference once, yeah. and I still have no idea what the tool is. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, well, the tool is called V four or V V V V. It's actually yeah. that's the correct. And sometimes it I was and no disrespect, it was a really great uh, festival event, and I had a lot of fun and yeah. really nice people. And but the tool was something very foreign to me. Well, this is what makes it kind of a unique festival in that it's based entirely around this community and this tool. Um, and that's it's why like a jQuery, like a jQuery festival or something like that. Um, yeah, like Python or, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm trying to think what the uh, equivalent art festival would be. But maybe. Um, well, there was that Flash festival for a long time. Yeah, but it's like still, what would it, it's like, but it's not like um, an art fair. Maybe like Basel is like, or like Venice is. No, but it's like, not like an art fair that's based on pouring resin and all the artists. Yeah, who very use, specific. Who use <laughs> resin or or that use a certain varnish on on their drawings? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's almost like a a metallic coating silkscreen festival. <laughs> Does such a thing exist? I don't know. Anyway, for some reason, it works really, really well. So I'm, I'm afraid I don't want to mess it up. But I'm, I'm, sort of taking redesigning the festival alongside other artists, and we founded this. They asked us to create like a lab that they're calling a Hope Lab or something. <laughs> Very lofty ambitions. No. But like I've been interviewing all of the users of this. I, I'm calling them users of this festival because it's like a product in a way, and they're all like diehard fans of you know this software and the festival but they're like i don't know they're just they're kind of really nice people they're what yeah for i sure. think they're friendly nerds you know mm-hmm. and so, as opposed uh, to normal nerds yeah that's right as opposed to like 4chan like <laughs> like dank <laughs> memes nerds trolls trolls yeah uh, um anyway what? but it, you all when you meet the people that you're doing something for it often always adds a little bit of extra pressure too because you know you think of each one of them and how special it is to them or whatever silence. um <laughs> silence no 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 i was trying yeah. to think uh, because we want to do an episode about tools and uh, but basically yeah, we were right talking we were talking this week about uh, the last episode was about meaning which is a, a very hard to describe thing and it's very uh, hard to pin down so we thought maybe we can speak about something very concrete and, and more practical yeah and and then you brought i brought up oh yeah well we've been wanting to do a thing on artist tools forever i think artist tools are on my mind because i'm doing this uh, festival and then um, and then you're like no what about practical tools and actually I've been just trying to figure out what the difference is between 
an artist tool and and a practical tool because almost like implicit in that is the idea that an artist tool is inherently impractical which i thought was kind of uh yeah using but then we get all philosophical again so i thought maybe i thought about like how can we make an episode that has all these this information that is directly useful but i just thought the way we talk about stuff is never practical so Mm. even if we talk about chrome extensions it'll that's right. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, like it's very clickbaity, but I mean, it is like a very, it, like there are tons of blogs in there, like five tools to help you get dressed in the morning or like yeah. 10 tools to get you undressed or whatever. <laughs> but uh, so it's like a good idea uh, just in terms of like culture and technology and art, sort of the topics we talk about. But ha- like we could strive to make it as practical as possible and then it'll probably veer left or right without us yeah. uh, trying very hard. But tools on like how to book cheap tickets or how to find uh, affordable 3D printers, or it, I, I just don't know, yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> why don't we start with like the cliche? Because uh, may, maybe what, I'm, what I also wanted to say is that a lot of people think of me as someone very practical. Yeah, I think of you that way. Yeah. yeah. And then I've spoken to different people who said, oh, did you follow a management course? Or you, I heard you read a lot of business books. And I glanced through some business books, but then I never found them useful. So mm-hmm. uh, then I thought, how could I be helpful in explaining how to be practical? But it's all, to me, the practical side is a form of procrastination. So but I don't know if you did that as a teenager when you had homework and... Uh, you didn't want to study, and then your room would be super clean because you were <laughs> postponing the going through I, your history yeah. books and memorizing uh, dates and all that stuff. You're like, okay, I'll, I'll go clean up my room. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I would never clean anything. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm like terrible. I think we're the the opposite in that in terms of that. Like, um, I'm the messy creative, and so I don't think anyone would ever walk up to me and be like, "You're super practical," except. I do, I spend a lot of time like designing processes as an artist and as a designer uh, that make me really efficient. But if you yeah. looked at me from the outside, you'd think like, this guy's just a total wreck. <laughs> but the, yeah, your, your your day job or whatever you want to call it, uh, it's about the most practical task in the world is uh, yeah, optimizing, <laughs> optimizing people's administration. Yeah, yeah, and I've, uh, I've, I think, I don't know, I, I doubt whether I'm amazing at it, but I've gotten okay at it um, and helping others figure out how to do it well. One of the funny things that um, it's like a cliche a little bit around our office and I think in other tech companies is like, you always go down this trap uh, when you're designing something of adding a lot of dials. Like there's this problem where people be like, well, what if they want to do this? Mm-hmm. And what if they want to do that? And then it's like, and then as soon as you do that, and then it's like, and then we're going to have to add a management layer to this so that they well, can manage I, what they how do. That's how I always feel about 3D software. Yeah. There's so yeah. many options. And you're like, holy shit. And <laughs> isn't there something that's like MS Paint, but in 3D? And people kind of like love those tools after 10 years. Like those are like the 10 year ones that like, you're never going to get, I'm never going to stop using Maya or I'll never stop using Photoshop, right? Mm-hmm. But for new people, they're really hard to use. And, and generally yeah. speaking, we're, you know, we're trying to, to make everyone a little bit more organized. So there's always this tension between creating a tool that's right for everyone, which is almost impossible, uh, then right for a specific group of people, but, you know, okay for the advanced people, but, you know, awesome for the early user. Anyway, it's, it's a constant debate. And I imagine like, 
that's true outside of software too like i don't know i guess the guy that did the swiss army knife was probably like <laughs> i don't know and what if they need to cut their toenails <laughs> it started out just as probably a knife what if they want to make some whipped cream yeah, yeah exactly yeah and now if, what if they want to open a bottle of wine i, you, I mean you I might think, need a straw <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. everybody needs a straw but one way I think I've seen people talk about tools before is like, um, you know, there's on YouTube, you can watch these. It's like every teenager has one of these like vlogs, video logs, blogs yeah. for video, whatever. And they'll often do like the five things that are in their bag or purse, like the, that they always take with them. Um, and I wondered whether we could do that. Like, what are the things we always take with us? Maybe that would like be a way for us to evoke. Well, I think we both always take a laptop and a phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay, pretty so that's straightforward. Like, maybe that's just yeah. like you put on underwear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like to wear clothing. Yeah, yeah especially yeah. when it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> but like after those like basic necessities, like what's the next thing that you take with you when you leave the house? Uh, I try to take as little with me. It, to me, the ultimate luxury is having nothing in my pockets. When mm-hmm. I can, I can tell Christina like, oh. I'll be back soon so you can open the door for me so I don't need keys in the pocket. I don't like the feeling of keys. And then maybe just one credit card and then hopefully I don't have to bring my phone but usually I need it. Wow, so you yeah. you don't even have a wallet basically. Uh, I do, it's a small one. But if I know that I'm going somewhere quickly I'll just bring some cash or something. Mm-hmm. Like a yeah. money clip. I just I just like that feeling as a kid when you're running around and your parents take care of the practical stuff and you, d- <laughs> you, you don't have anything in your pockets well that's why i do love like i mean it's it's kind of in a way like a sexist remark but i do love going out with Kristen or traveling with her because she has this like bag with her all the time her purse and might i feel as, like might as well yeah, like, why, yeah. Can, can you just carry this for me can we put can that you, in your can purse can you carry my hammer yeah <laughs> um yeah, whereas I, I really, I'm like you, I don't like carrying a lot, but I have to say that I, I just packed my bag to leave for a week, and I'm just, I like to take just a knapsack when I travel and nothing more, but I always get, there's something like, an, I get this anxiety about, I should really bring this a few things, and these are like essential tools. And Your they're podcast quite a, mic? Yeah, so they're pretty embarrassing, yeah. Now it's like a podcast mic, I always have to travel with a mic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I always have to take like a nice pair of headphones. I always have to take, this is a weird one, but a Nintendo Wiimote controller. Because <laughs> <laughs> you use it for your performance. Yeah, like I can do so many things. Like I've been in so many situations where people are like, Jeremy, can't you just come up with something? And I'm like, oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> and, and the number of times I've turned to that device to like come up with something, it's, it's, very, it's very flexible. And then another thing I always bring is a backup webcam because I never know if I'm going to have to record video for mm-hmm. something. Yeah. And and some batteries. And then a bunch of cables, like every cable that oh, you can man. imagine. Yeah. That's more yeah. than a knapsack. I no, no, it all fits into a, <laughs> into a knapsack. <laughs> I'll say the biggest trick that I have is like I bring an extension cord with me wherever I go. Yeah. Which sounds like this is the opposite of your life, but like if you're traveling, yeah, you're always looking for power. And so at an airport or something, if you have like yeah. a, a, a very lightweight extension cord, you, you have a huge advantage. Yeah. Well, the other thing I was thinking about, about tools, there's so many podcasts that are about software or hardware or like gadget blogs. And so obviously there's enough of that. So we don't have to really go into that, uh, which laptop configuration is best for you or those kind of questions. 
<laughs> and then there's the, the the whole thing. There's a whole side of art that's the, the art itself is basically about the tools, so mm-hmm. or the materials. So uh, there's art that's about the studio itself, like videos of artists walking through their studio, and and the studio is their space. So that becomes the work, or it's about paint on a canvas and nothing more, or mm-hmm. it's about a slab of steel, or it's about the the noise in in a certain video camera, or a, a film grain, or like there's so much art that is about material or tools itself. Mm. Um, and there's also like a history of. There's a lot of net art that's about the the web itself, also. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I was just thinking about historically, there are also tool making companies that have given artists tools for free, almost as a way to like show people that this has a function. Like, yeah, that it's not you know that they're because they don't know what it's for yet, and so they're like, "Ooh, I don't know. We don't know what this is for." I still get these calls. Like, it'll be like Intel. We have a new camera. And, yeah. we, and you know, we want to work with artists to, you know, to show what it can do. And and you're like, oh, okay, because that's like no one's going to use it this way except for. Uh, yeah, I, I remember seeing an interview with Ulai, the the former partner of Marino Abramovich, hmm. and he made a whole bunch of Polaroid portraits of the body and etc. But the Polaroids were the size of a door. And that was a a thing that existed for a while. Really? That that you could make these larger than life instant prints without any grain and without any it's like What did the camera look like though? Was it a Polaroid the size of a person? It's it's like a pinhole room thing. Like uh, okay. Yeah. Something I don't remember exactly, but it it only existed for ten years. So that's an interesting tool where uh, and and I wonder if there are more examples of tools that only existed briefly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um I mean in video art the, uh which is sort of my background, um there was a, a camera, a single tool that revolutionized video because it was the first consumer video camera. The Sony one? Yeah, Sony Portapak. Yeah. That came out in the, the late I, 60s. I read that Dali was the first video artist because he was supposed to do a lecture and he couldn't make it. And then that was the only option. If they had to develop film, it would be too late. So he recorded a performance on, on video. Oh, um, and a fit, technically that's the fit. and the the actual video is he put a lot of canvas in his studio, and there were pigs running around with paint on their feet, and there were <laughs> motorcycles running over the canvas, and he was in the camera going like, "This is a completely objective, abstract, modern masterpiece that surpasses everything that's been done before," and he's a great salesman. Was he sincere? Or was <laughs> yeah, who knows? Huh? Um, but actually, I have a contradictory story to that. The, in, in my uh, understanding, Nam June Pike, who's a Korean artist, Korean-American. He's the father of new media art. He was the first person. I mean, and some people have said this story is not true, but I like to tell the story anyway. Um, yeah, who knows he, what's true anyway. He was the first one to buy like a porta pack camera at a Macy's this department is alter- store. Alternative fact, art history. Yeah, yeah. Like my, but my advisor in grad school, he wrote an essay all about all the things that were wrong with the story. But basically, uh, Namjoon Pike went to a Macy's department store. The porta pack had just come on sale. He bought it as if he was buying like an Xbox or something. He unwrapped it like after he checked out, and there was like a parade going by outside. He recorded that parade, uh, and then later that evening, the same evening, he showed that recording at a Soho gallery, hmm. and um, it's and very he, instant. And he, yeah, and he called it video art. And it was the act of, inst- it wasn't the content, it was the fact that it was 
this instant recording that was the artwork. Yeah, yeah that's the type of art I'm talking about where it's okay. Mm-hmm. I, I bought the tool at a place and now I use the tool to film the place. Yeah, and I think we are among artists that often like are the first to get their hands on a tool and then the art is almost just about that tool. Um, and you, I don't know, in the creative coding community, there are a lot of people that, um, that just like to try out new technologies and quote unquote, see what happens. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I often refer to that as like demo, the demo scene, um, which is like, mm-hmm. it was really kind of vibrant, started out in the 80s and the 90s. People used to pass around tapes and stuff and it was what they could do with technology. Like, these are the amazing video effects I can create and stuff. And um, well, well, the whole, uh, to explain a little bit, because demos were very fascinating to me. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I learned about demos from a friend in art school who was really into the Commodore the C64 and the whole thing about demos is that you would take a limited system uh, or maybe the newest system but really push that system to the limit and making generative uh, not interactive but a generative piece of software that would do all kinds of things so at first it was black and white and then color was added and then music but the music would be dynamically generated so it, it was very far from creating a document on a computer. It was creating a program that is like a living being. And the whole thing would be to make it the file size as small as possible. So the demo would open up saying like uh, 486 demo, only 200K with 20 mm-hmm. minutes of music and yeah. 3D effects and running on only uh, 2 megs of RAM or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love that stuff, and then I love that scene. You can still, like, tune in on YouTube if you want to check out. People still make demo videos. One other thing, you know, the music has always been, like, a common aspect to to demos. I don't know why, but, like... Yeah, it's like, it's like it sounds like video game music. Yeah, it, it's usually pretty intense, too, now, if you look at modern ones. It's like... It's <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like between movie effects and, and, and sort of hard-style techno or something yeah. like that. I don't know why it hasn't transcended in the mainstream because I always thought that that would just become... There was one time a justice video that kind of played with it. I, I think part of it is that uh, demos are not based on stories and mm-hmm. people have a hard time with content that's not based on stories. But there is um, there are a few artists, I guess, that have taken demo, um, demo kind of styles to a high level. Um, yeah, but I, I, I think it's hard for people to look at moving images if there's no beginning or end or story arc. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think um, why am I blanking on team the guy at Team Gallery, our friend um, uh, Tabor. Oh yeah, Tabor. Uh, so yeah, Tabor's work is like for those who don't know it, um, he'll do like it'll look like a be- bejeweled game, and it'll be like it'll have like I don't know, just so rich, like the, the the number of effects stacked together. Yeah, will just be like so rich. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's it's the equivalent of like a, a a pastry chef going to Iron Chef or something and making the craziest cake of all time. But that that, that equivalent in software. Yeah, I just I mean I'm I but love imagine it. imagine like five Japanese chefs and five French chefs from all <laughs> over the world competing to make the world's craziest uh, wedding cake. And it's like every pixel is perfect, and it's just like the intensity, the saturation, everything is like yeah. I don't know. Really, really pushing the tools, pushing the tools. Yeah, so it's really all about that as a culture. Yeah, I, I was always interested in in uh, letting the tools do whatever comes easy to the tool. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, 
I remember in school we we would try really hard to use a video camera and make it look like film. So use really good lighting and <laughs> right. work on the on the color scheme afterwards and do all this Add processing it. to make it look as as cinematic as possible. And would you add like a film grain effect? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You're just learning the tool, so then the teacher yeah. wants you just to maximize the tool. But what if you use the shittiness of the, of the tool and maximize that? Yeah, I th I think it's also like kind of being honest. So the, in I think in the '90s, um, there's this dogma '95 uh, style, right? Mm -hmm. um, that became the avant-garde film style for the time, and it was like take the shittiest camera that you have access to, and handheld sh you know shots with with the sound on the camera, natural lighting, no natural no light, lights whatsoever. Yeah. It was kind of like exposing. Um, you know, kind of the the artifice of cinema in a way. Like, is is that sort of a, a a thread in art history where artists are just hiding, or they they became really unambitious, or were more interested in in shock effect than skill? So, I mean, for a long time, art was always trying to be depict reality or even go beyond reality, mm -hmm. uh, but makes make things hyper real. I'm thinking of still lives and group portraits. And then at some point, someone was like, well, actually, it's 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 not a group portrait. It's paint on a canvas, and I'm going to lay it on really crappily. Yeah, well, I think it's like when you're laying it on really crappily, you're kind of exposing... Is crappily yeah. a word? Uh, well, it is now. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the know, name like, of this with, episode. Because with Dogma, I would say that they were trying to get as close to reality as possible, right? Like, um, in a way. like Yeah. Because cinema is built up on so many layers of artifice that um, it's nowhere near real, right? We all know, like, uh, when we see a Hollywood movie, it's I kind of cringe now when there's, like, certain dramatic lighting effects or um, even a certain glossiness or, like, vantage Well, even point. if we look at reality TV and you, you know how the those shows are built and it's every show is built the same way so whether they're in a in a swamp in louisiana or yeah. in this in a fancy house in beverly hills you have the same music the same yeah. story arcs the same build-up of tension and uh, uh, confrontation and dialogue and yeah yeah they haven't really exposed that i don't know but over time we've like i guess picked up clues about how they're made and then yeah um or we've seen a behind the scenes and then it's really disappointing like the first time i was ever on a set uh, for like a TV commercial, it's like it's really a, it's crushing experience because it's like a, it's also it's really stressful. Also, everyone's really mean. <laughs> like a lot, I had a lot, completely lot opposite shush. experience. But Did you? Yeah, but it was in Britain, so everybody was super polite. I don't know. There's like a lot of whispering and like mm. uh, clients like the client doesn't like this. Uh, <laughs> the art director is a snob. It's like a back and forth kind of thing, and it's like I don't know. Uh, it's not the quick snappy thirty seconds you get later. It's like it's such a. I used to do this for a living. I felt it was like torture in a way. Uh, by the end of it all, because it wasn't like as an artist, I'm so used to having fun with the tools. But in this, yeah. like, high, where all the tools were, like, super high end, like, best new camera, best this, best that. And everyone's like, are you using a red, uh, Redshift 456K or whatever? Yeah, and yeah. Like, oh, I can't believe you're recording compressed. Oh, that's so Yeah, ex <laughs> exactly, exactly. So there's this, like, tool, um, actually, an art that sometimes exists, but, like, kind of like a, it's often, like, uh, used to keep people out, often women, but this, like, kind of techno chauvinism um, that, that pervades where it's like ner nerdy machismo 
Yeah, like I have the better tools because I'm like more pro. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I liked about the early web as a tool because the, the, the tools were so limited and rudimentary that you couldn't see the difference between a pro website and an amateur website. Because yeah. the, the Coca-Cola website or the New York Times or somebody's website about their cat yeah. were all really crappy. So yeah. that was really liberating for me that did, the barrier to entry felt really low. Yeah, and I think, all, but you know, and everyone was just sort of figuring it out. And those periods come along every once in a while. I'd say, like right yeah. now, VR feels that way to me. Like, well, but I think VR is kind of a high-end tool. It's it's not as um, oh yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I'm you need saying, you need yeah. pretty serious hardware to do VR. Right. I think I was just thinking like regular people are tr- like it's not like Hollywood studios that are making content for it. They're like, nah, there's no business there. So. <laughs> <laughs> So like regular people like we, maybe we, we, we should do a VR VR podcast episode once a year <laughs> yeah, and just in. see like we, we do some prophecies and see how it's rolling out. Yeah, that's true. There was a there was a thing. I mean, this episode is about tools, so we can talk about anything. But uh, yeah. uh, there was a thing that uh, Facebook had a lot of stands in Best Buys, and they had to close sixty percent of them because no one would even want an Oculus demo. Oh yeah! Did you read I, that I, article? I, I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, 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 yeah, it's not good times for. I mean, I mean, it'll take. Maybe it'll take like. Um, I don't know some big. And also, I think this week, like Magic Leap was. There was like a behind the scenes <laughs> picture that was revealed. And like this really clumsy. <laughs> Looked like the Ghostbusters backpack. <laughs> <laughs> Like prototype. It was so embarrassing. It's like this nerd with the backpacks. <laughs> well, for for those who are not following VR news, basically VR has tremendous, incredible promise and a lot of investors because they're thinking that this is going to be bigger than the mobile phone, so we better get in on it. But the proof we've seen so far is is the opposite. Well, and a I think that that specifically Magic Leap is AR, but the, you know they have they raised five billion dollars or almost five billion dollars, right? Yeah, and, so, and and hardly anyone has seen the product. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, the people making the tools are often overhyping them to get us excited. And I think that hype cycle. Have you ever heard of Gartner's hype cycle before? No. It's this idea that when a new tool comes out, well, it's a new product, but I think it's interesting to think about it just in relationship with tool. There's a lot of hype and there's like this peak. It's a very quick peak where people are just yeah. like, it's going to change the world. And then yeah, right when, after when was that, this idea? When did this idea come um, up? Let's just see. I don't know. I'm just thinking if this is pre or post internet because uh, mm-hmm. on the internet, those things are. I remember when that Google Dream thing came out and like for for a day and a half everybody was like wow computers are more creative than humans Mm -hmm. and two days later everybody was like oh it's a dog filter yeah it's funny because it doesn't have a date on uh on wikipedia anyway i think it might be as early as like the nine uh it could be the 90s that it came uh, uh it's terrible i don't have the i don't have the story all i know is um like is what describes how it works but so basically there's this this peak and then a valley right after that like so very high expectations um they call that like the peak of inflated expectations and then the so-called trough of disillusionment so that's right after but that this do, is like, do you do you think it's true that well that what happened what happens after that the way people talk about it is slowly like after the hype regular people for a longer period of time start to do you know, absorb the technology into their regular practices. Mm-hmm. 
and there's this so-called slope of enlightenment that happens. And then it's funny, like the last period is the longest period, uh, which is like the plateau of productivity. So that it's kind of like half as good as the hype. And that's where it stays pretty yeah, much that's, forever. That's what it actually is. That's what it actually is, yeah. Yeah. So there's the promise and then you you overpromise and then the yeah. delivery is a little Yeah. Yeah, and but, as humans we do that over and over again, not just with products <coughs> or tools, but um probably with everything. But when you think of a tool like the the smartphone, it came up and I think it was it, it, any smartphone before the iPhone had a lot of promise, but it was just too uh, difficult to use mm -hmm. and then the iPhone came along had a lot of hype but I think it kept surpassing the hype it just became bigger and bigger and bigger mm -hmm. and I think now the, the idea of apps has kind of plateaued and people have the apps they like uh, but still the, I mean the cameras keep getting better so people are actually using it to really well, I, this, like, I have this feeling like over the last maybe it's only over the last month but like there's this trend towards people getting rid of tools like uh Boycott this and boycott that. You know, That's like, true. Did I delete my Uber and yeah. things like that? Yeah. And as I was like, I deleted. Well, everything's Uber. politicized. Yeah, but I thought it was really interesting because, like, I was deleting Uber. And I was like, why don't I delete a bunch of this other stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was kind of like became romantic all of a sudden for like You're like no tools. more Yelp. I've had it with Yelp. Well, it's like our moment of like running back into the forest and like <laughs> foraging, yeah. like for. <laughs> <laughs> forging for cabs on the street and uh, I, listening I think, to music I think, you downloaded. I, th I think if we're very honest, that uh, idealism definitely has its limits. Like everyone knows the way smartphones are produced is not the best for the environment, and yeah. you can buy a Fairphone, but the ca camera on the Fairphone is so bad. Do people know like, about this? Well, I'm an artist, so I should I should record, make documentation the best possible quality. I'm always carrying my phone, so then I should have a top tier phone, even if it's made of precious metals that were gathered unethically. Yeah, like, do do you think people know about that? Like coltan, there's this like material that uh, is in all smartphones that's like essential, um, and it's like responsible for civil war in like the Congo, right, or something like that, like. There's been well, there's a, the, the other thing is that whatever fun comes out that has to be compensated with a layer of guilt. So, <laughs> right. Because so, the first time I heard that, I was like, "What is this, an episode of Star Trek?" Because I'd never heard of this mineral, titanium, <laughs> <laughs> like, the, the, <laughs> the coltan mines in the Congo, where yeah. there's a civil conflict between the Empire and. The <laughs> Oops, <laughs> but I really like this phone. I know, but I've had this sudden like science fiction moment. Kristen was telling me about it. I was just like, "Oh no! I thought the phone was pure. They recycle all their materials." Yeah, yeah. but the phone definitely is a big shift in uh, our idea. Maybe artists before would have a sketchbook and sit around and make drawings, but th the idea of having an all-encompassing recording device with you—I think someone like Nam Jung Paik was fantasizing about that. Andy right. Warhol always walked around with a tape recorder, with an actual mic, and he would always walk around with video cameras. And the idea that you have everything that fits in your hand. Right. Well, I mean, and I guess this is still one of the things that I haven't seen. Like, I, I, there was a young artist I met a few years ago here in Toronto. And she, her for her thesis project for undergrad, like her bachelor's, of, uh, her her art uh, degree, she did all of these sculptures that were 3D printed, but she'd made them all 
while like on her runs on her phone <laughs> yeah. so she was like sculpting while she <laughs> would do extreme. like she was, yeah. yeah but i was like i was like that's the future i was so yeah. excited about this well it's like michael manning made all those uh, uh touchscreen paintings in microsoft surface stores oh right yeah, yeah 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 because like the microsoft surface had this really funny painting tool that was semi-realistic but he didn't have money to buy a Surface, so he would just go to the Surface store because there was no one ever there because nobody ever buys a Surface. <laughs> Not and anymore. Then, that's, that's and then he would popular. make a painting in the painting app with the touchscreen for as long as until the, the guard or the, the, the salesperson would say, hey, that's enough, you got to go. And he would e- email <laughs> like, it to himself quickly. What would be the like, line he's crossed? Like, ooh, that looks like it's real artwork. He can get paid for that. <laughs> like, there's someone assessing the quality of it yeah. or something like that. I mean, yeah. I... Yeah, and I guess um, Evan Roth also did those, like, um, he does these big paintings that were, like, swipe gestures on the yeah. phone, yeah, which are yeah. kind of cool. But I was yeah, thinking, well, like... Every, every tool that comes along, then somebody could be the first to make a, a dead sp- deadpan work about it. As little, as little personality as possible and as much of the tool <laughs> as possible. Well, the Microsoft Surface is funny because it's back again, like, trying to go after artists. Have you seen the latest device it's like yeah it it folds down into a drawing table kind of thing it's like an architect's table you know what's hilarious about that is like so in my design studio at work i had this i inherited this like beautiful old drawing table and like literally for the last like five years i've been trying to find a place in the office where people don't like bitch about this table they're like (laughs) it's it's ridiculous who would use such a huge table (laughs) and it's like yeah, I don't I know. Then Microsoft comes out with a computer that's exactly that, and be like, "That's amazing! How are they doing this?" <laughs> well, I, I remember I always wanted an architect's table growing up because I was always drawing, and I thought, "Oh, it's so cool if your table is at an angle." Yeah, and yeah. so finally, uh, I was in art school, and they were getting rid of a lot of architect's tables, so I bought one, and it's a it's a huge table with also a, a slab of concrete to balance the weight. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. I had it in my room, but I also had another table. I've never used it. I, I kept it there for three months, and then it was gone. Uh, I, I, well, I read this book of Stephen King about uh, how he writes. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big part of it was that he also always aspired to have a big, giant oak desk in the middle of a room instead of a, a tiny desk in the corner of a room. So he became very successful, and he could afford the desk, but then he just couldn't write on the big desk, and he went back to the little corner table. What, what was wrong with the big desk? He would sit in the middle of the room, and it was too pretentious, and then he just got stuck. <laughs> That's how I feel about a studio. Like, I've always worried that if I had a studio, I would it would suddenly feel... I don't know. There would, I would have it's a It's like feeling. the big blank canvas that stares back at you. Yeah. And that's but, emphasized if you're in a, in a space dedicated to making art. Yeah, and also, like, I don't make work on, like, the same schedule as a full-time artist because I'm, you know, squeezing it in here and there. And so I'm never really stopping. I'm sort of just always, like, like almost like... You're always, always multitasking? Yeah, I'm always, like, looking for cracks in time to... Yeah, I'm always multitasking. I'm always doing lots of different yeah. things at once. And then the, so the two things bleed into each other all of the time. So this idea of a strict separation between life and work to me is a really bizarre concept. Well, there's, there's, I think there's many examples of artists uh, using, uh, doing a day job and then actually finding an idea that becomes their defining work. Like Richard Prince worked at, I think, Time magazine and he was mm-hmm. cutting up magazines for, for the archive. 
and then he was interested in rephotographing photographs. So yeah, yeah that, Barbara Kruger was similar, I think. Yeah, and Vogue. Yeah. And for me, for me, the the it's it's not the day job, but it's the big. So my computer is my studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you talk about tools, it kind of has a lot of implications because the same physical machine, the, the the laptop, is the exhibition space, is the social space, mm-hmm. and it's the the studio. Yeah, and that's a very strange way of working. And the most difficult thing is that it's very distracting. But then. I started using the distraction as a subject of the work and making these uh, compositions based on websites. So I, I, I've, I tried all these different tools. Again, about tools. I tried all these different tools to reduce social media time. Right. Uh, there's like Chrome extensions or there's uh, things that filter your internet traffic. And then I really? would just bi- bypass it and, and go back to social media. And I would just get pissed at myself for finding all this uh, distraction. And then finally, I decided, okay, well, then I'll make work about that. And you require, like, because the distracted mind, there's some some people, distraction actually promotes creativity, like helps them be more mm-hmm. creative. But yeah, I guess that's probably not most people because they may be procrastinating or something like that. No, for me, definitely, if I'm on a train and I'm out of battery and I can't look at my phone, then the only thing you can do to entertain yourself is come up with stuff yeah yeah you yeah i get very excited in those moments usually i I don't know but the hard the hard thing is when you try to do that on purpose and you clear the table and you sit down with a sketchbook and there's no idea you're just like i'm an idiot why my brain is empty (laughs) yeah i mean for me then in in that case like the tool that i use most often is probably like reading um you know Mm -hmm. which we don't you don't talk about very often but or conversation like you know conversation with you or another artist like a studio the studio visit is like a kind of tool that i use to make work but you don't Um, have a studio so this yeah so like i did some studio visits this week but i just went to people's homes like no no one had a real studio like these were all young artists but like none of them had real studios so you're just showing each other stuff on the phone and talking and yeah it was like yeah, this is like how a typical studio visit goes to me. And I'm about to do go travel and I'll do a talk and, and, and there's going to be some studio visits too. But basically, the best setup you can have for me is like your computer <laughs> and we chat with some tea or coffee and then we're like just typing URLs back and forth <laughs> to show yeah. like, and we, it's one of those hyper extended conversations. And then maybe we take a break from that. We go, we go just talk about non-referential. Yeah, there's also, it, I, that happens a lot that you have dinner with someone and maybe you have a lot in common you, you've followed each other's work and then you meet and you have a very interesting high-paced conversation and all these things come up but you don't want to pull out your phone all the time and yeah. at the end of the yeah, conversation yeah. you both have to remember that the 10 urls that you wanted to send and then you have to go on an email <laughs> and try to remember i always thought there should be an app for, that records points while you have a conversation and and it makes a summary of the dinner and at the end, it's like, oh, these are the five YouTubes that, that were referenced in the in the dinner. Well, you just reminded me of something, which is the like, well, it, all tools exist to solve a problem or all products do anyway. Um, and uh, you just reminded me that that's maybe a problem of our podcast because we talk about like a lot of references. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, all right, go go figure that out. I just always... And, so and you I, basically need a, a speech recognition software that then pulls out keywords and shows you maybe a hundred URLs 
and that somehow with some well, AI <laughs> picks out the relevant ones and the, yeah. Well, that would be yeah, what we would do if we were super lazy, which maybe so we that, are. But like otherwise, the, this podcast just, like, would have a few links to Commodore demos and some PC demos. Yeah. It would have the work of yeah. Tabor Roback. It would have the Namjung Pike uh, yeah. dates that he did that, and then it would maybe reference whether Dali was first or not, and etc. Yeah, yeah, we should like we should do that. <laughs> maybe that could be my job, because you're always the one setting up, and then I'm always well. And you do the mix down. You do almost everything, actually. I've I've spoken to developers back in the day when apps were the, the, there was the gold rush of apps. And he said, I I can't tell you how many times people came up to me and said, I have this great idea for an app. Why don't you go make it uh, on spec? I'll pay you very little later and I'll make all the money. (laughs) Well, it does remind me that like, uh, you reminded me also of like, um, I get, it's hard for me to avoid talking about product design, but like, most people fall in love that are making new tools, they fall in love with their solution, right? Like uh, they'll yeah. say like, I have this problem and then they make the thing for themselves, which is really interesting. That's and then a they genuine assume, place to start. It is genuine, but they'll assume that everyone has that problem. And we've all met this person. I've met them several times in my life where they'll, they'll like, they'll meet you at a you know party or an opening or something like, I have this great idea and they've, they've even started to like hire people and spend a lot of money and as they're talking to you about their idea, you're like, this is a terrible, <laughs> terrible idea. How am I, how, well, oh, how no. do I explain? But I've also, I've spoken to a lot of people who said, oh, selling websites as an artwork is a terrible idea. It's never going to work. That's true. That's and it's true. still, it's still, you could still say, okay, as a, on a market point of view, there's no, it's not a big thing. It's not being traded for a lot of money. It, it hasn't become a, a major defining category. Mm-hmm. So it's not working. It it might work for you, but so it sometimes an idea nobody likes it, and you, you could still pursue it. Well, I guess the the difference between ideas that succeed and ideas that don't are it's usually not on the first try, right? Like, yeah, I, what, the first time you sold, you tried to sell a website, you didn't have it all figured out. So it's a little bit of persistence and iteration, right? Yeah, yeah, but I, I'm saying it's also. Um, it's perception, so it it, it it depends on what you think is a success. Then, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, yeah. I guess that's true. As but an the artist, conversation recorder converted into URLs app would be interesting. There would yeah. be privacy issues, though. Well, actually, uh, here's what something I really need. Now we're just talking about tools we need. <laughs> but I was because I was doing all these interviews for this. Uh, I this, need this tool, and now you need it. Well, you like, and the whole need world a, needs it, and that's why we need it, and that's why we get magic. Well, apparently, people. voice tan- voice transcription is still not very good. Like, have you tried doing anything with vo- like transcribing your voice lately? Well, the, there's the Notes app on the iPhone, and then if you dictate, it, but the problem is, I, I'm much better at writing uh, just with a keyboard than coming up with an article by voice. So I I really don't need dictation. But it would like, be, have you have you tried writing an essay while speaking? Like, uh, have I tried dictating an essay? <laughs> yeah. Um, just no, conversationally. It's, it seems absurd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the life and times of a new media artist. But you know, it was a cold day in Canada, <laughs> and I looked at my computer and I said, "This is a place for art." Well, you remind me though that, like, in drawing, when you're learning to draw, like, erasing a line is considered like a really bad thing to do. And the reason why I wouldn't want to dictate is because I wouldn't be able to edit, right? And mm-hmm. inherent in writing, for some reason, is this idea that editing is good. But I don't know where that comes from, except that maybe 
like is that inherent to the the parameters of text that it should it should I, I exist like, to be edited? I like that Truman Capote said something about uh, Jack Kerouac's uh, what's the name of the book? The On, on the, the road. road again? Yeah, yeah. Or on the road, yeah. On the road, and he said that's not writing; that's typing. He was just, <laughs> right, right. That's pretty. Would, that's a sick burn. Yeah. Yeah, but he just took a typewriter. It's, people saved the scroll, but it's just one long. He just never stopped. It was a long scroll, and he, I think he took a lot of speed and just wrote the whole thing. That's right. It was written on. How did he do that, though? What was the like? He did he have like a midi? It was a roll of paper. Yeah. Oh. Like wow. a fax machine. Ah. Yeah, because yeah. you can buy like the like the original scroll. Like you can get. Imagine the, there was a fact checker tool while we we're talking, and it would go. Ah, no, it wasn't the scroll. <laughs> he just put the different pages and he stapled them together later. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was. I've heard that before. Um, yeah, but in the future, of course, uh, Raf, like the tool we all want, like we might as well get to like the dream tool at this point in the mm-hmm. podcast would be like uh, the tool I think everyone is racing towards that, you know, you mentioned the phone was this universal recording device, but the tool that would change the world, like would, you know, that everyone thinks is the next thing after the phone is the phone in front of reality, right? Some sort of augmented reality that's got full perception of what's going on. So as we were talking about on the road, like information about on the road would come up in a panel to the left Mm -hmm. in our peripheral vision. We'd look over at it. Oh, there it is. There's the the data. It would be doing analysis. It would be suggesting our next topic. The the other thing that's interesting about tools is that they're amazing for two weeks and then they're normal. And then after a while, they even, you're like, oh, this thing is so slow. Well, the thing the thing we haven't talked about though is like the, what's the difference between a tool and a machine? So like this is like a something I always. Well, I talk think about. a tool could be not a machine, but a tool could also be uh, like a, a a trick to do something or a way. Like a, a paintbrush is a tool, but it's not a machine. Yeah. Well, like because Karl Marx uh, has this distinction, which I like, which is that a machine is something that uses you. So, like, he refers to, like, a factory, you know, where you have to pull a lever to make it make cans or something like that. Yeah, I think he was responding to the machines of, of his time. Yeah, the industrial machine, right? Yeah, but and maybe maybe like we're the same way. Like, maybe, as a machine. maybe Instagram is the same kind of machine where you think you're doing something, but actually you're a hamster pushing Instagram forward. Well, that's why I wanted to bring this up because I was having a conversation with this young artist. Um, we were doing a studio visit and he had the same insight I did when I was a young student, which was that he was using like tools like Photoshop and, you know, Premiere or whatever. And he was noticing that there was like a certain style that they would produce, that everything looked like the thing, the tool he had used. And I was saying, yeah, like when I was a student, I started like, I, w- I, I became really upset about that. And I st- that's why I started programming, um, you know, and then I noticed you know, over the last few years, especially because people would say it to me, they're like, wow, your work has like a certain style. And I'd be like, well, that's just what the tool is capable of, right? Yeah, um, I, I, I feel the, the same way. But it's funny. Uh, uh, that's just, I feel the same way when I made works for the browser. I thought I'll just use the simplest aesthetics that are easiest for the browser. So mm-hmm. using geometric shapes, you also use geometric Because when you're coding, that's just the easiest... Instead of trying to make a, a 3D rendered wedding cake, like something right. very photorealistic or a palm tree, you're like, no, I'll just make a rectangle. That's yeah. good enough. Yeah, and the first but then thing the, they in, teach you to code yeah. is like usually a circle bouncing yeah. around, right? 
yeah, you have like the center point and then the radius and then it draws a line. Yeah. And, but then the interesting thing is if you take that same approach of letting the tool do what it does easiest, but you use a completely different tool, if, if I would start painting with the same, then you end up with a sort of Jackson Pollock because then that's the easiest thing to do. But it looks completely different. And you wouldn't, right. you wouldn't consider that the same style, but it is the same uh, way of thinking. Yeah. The same way of u- using a tool in the most obvious way. So you're, th- you're saying that maybe that's just the first way you use the tool, but as over time... Well, I, I've just been thinking a lot about making paintings uh, because I have these sketches that normally would become a moving image, but they, they're just interesting as a, a static image. And then I'm thinking, I should paint this, but then the idea of painting something to make it look like a vector image in, in yeah. sort of an op-art precise way of painting seems really going against the medium of, of painting. Mm. And, and like the painting that's behind you is a, a sort of sloppy painting done quickly and not trying to be exactly geometric. Yeah. And that's more honest about the material. So what I'm saying is that it's the same approach with different tools can look completely different. Yeah, and that gives you a fresh perspective. Like I did some painting. I wrote a, I've, des- I've designed painting tools a few times satirically as an artist because I always go back to painting as the thing that gets reinvented over and over and over again. Um, also, as as sort of the example of uh, what's art? Oh, yeah, that's painting. Oh, digital painting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then even like every time a new tool comes out or a new video game console, they always do a demo with painting, and as if that's like the hardest thing in the world to do, or the thing that people spend their time. That, I, I think it's the them. symbol for creativity. It's not actual creativity, but when people think, what's yeah. the most creative thing you could do on a on a right, right. computer? It's, it's painting it's the icon. Yeah. Yeah. But the, li- the latest painting app I designed uses like a connect and uh, it uses the depth to do so that I can do like gesture paintings. Yeah, I saw with, the, the printouts. Yeah, but I, I like yeah. uh, I stumbled on this like method just like playing around. I was looking for a new way I could express like do paintings in real time and then because I wanted to sell them as I made them. Like this idea mm-hmm. for, for me is very exciting. The idea that like the artist studio could be on the internet and we could be like, I could be painting all day long and it's just like Warhol's factory. <laughs> and then you <laughs> pick, just like, you're like, I want that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know. I did a performance and I sold like uh, seven paintings in, in an hour or whatever. And that was very, it's like, it's exciting to think that I, what if I could get that to a hundred paintings? The quality <laughs> of the paintings themselves is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but who cares it's about quantity yeah yeah like i was just sitting in my living room and i put on music and you know for a few hours I. but I isn't, isn't it amazing how fun that is when you just play with the, because that's basically what abstract painting is is just having fun with the tools yeah it's true and i've but always it, i think it's this i think it's the sale factor that then gives it a bigger thrill the same way you can be addicted to gambling and you're like oh, maybe yeah. this next one will sell yeah, yeah, yeah that's right yeah, and I guess I always find it really um, hard, like uh, mentally, to paint because I have to suspend a certain like uh, conscious part of my brain, right? So it's like actually requires effort for me to do that. And like because the more th- you mean, you mean usually in in art making, you have a reason to put the elements. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like so, the best paintings I think I did that day were ones where like I started to just like. I, I was acting like a, a mad madman, right? It's like I put on <laughs> crazy music, and I was home alone. But was it fun? Up. Yeah, of course, it's really fun. I, and I, yeah. in all of my performances, even though I have a persona and it's like I'm satirical about painting quite often, I always have fun doing it, right? Like, and I think 
there's a guilty conscience in me. Well, of, as I think artist, that's. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if that's a basic human emotion or if that's a Western sentiment of this guilt of enjoyment, mm-hmm. and that. It, so if you use a tool, just because it's fun to use, like you take yeah. a video camera and then you go. You, you open the shutter so it's way too bright and everything's blurry and then you just go walk around Las Vegas yeah. and you're like, oh man, this is amazing. I just love using this camera. Yeah. And then most people would be say that's very naive or that's too simple, yeah. but you're like, you had the best time. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to, uh, for you know, another, another artist that was doing like creative coding and he was just saying like, he couldn't call himself an artist because he likes to write code or make an installation and then just see how people will use it and and then he feels like the two him and the audience are coming together and it's just it's not it's just for fun and that's like and he's like so i don't want to call it art like he was like drawing this line and so he's like it's just for me it was about the tool and it's about like seeing how people interact with it i was like that's kind of probably art but i you know by but unfortunately the way we've categorized things you can't say that or you feel like you can't say that. Well, yeah, it has to do with who your friends are, whether it's art or not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he felt so <clears throat> awkward about it. I felt bad for him. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think there's a lot of people who, as a hobby, like to play around with tools. So I think music, for example, yeah, really thrives on... If we sell you this instrument, you'll be a few <laughs> steps closer to Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Like he, he, <laughs> yeah. he, he used this Wawa pedal. Yeah. And so you're selling this fantasy of success and, and thrill and, and uh, arenas. And you're like, oh, but what if I get this extra filter for Ableton? And what if I get this other plugin? I'll be as cool as Skrillex. And the, 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 there's a thing about selling tools together right. with the dream. There, there's a reason they sell musical instruments endorsed by professionals. And they're like, yeah, I play, I use this snare drum and on, the, on the 84 Slayer Tour, so you should use it. <laughs> yeah, we're back to that whole, like the tool as like the the legitimizing factor right yeah or a promise yeah yeah and i think though that's why you've seen like you know companies add pro after whatever you know tool they're making so it's like the macbook pro but like there's a whole company called gopro and this like you're what you're talking referring to is the pro amateur movement right like so there are all these yeah, the prosumer. Like there was this reg- there were the professionals, and there's only like ten of those in the world. But how do we reach, you know, well, it's a also million that, people? The, 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 traditionally, professional gear. It's the same way with flying, flying economy or flying business class. And business class is like seven times the price. Mm-hmm. But and and the same with cameras. The the Hasselblad cameras are like seven times the price. Well, because but they're then, sold to fewer people as well. Yeah, but then maybe they were like, well, this area in between. We have really high margins, and there could be ten times more people. So we, the margins might be a little bit lower than the pros, but the prosumer market is is very profitable. Mm-hmm. So basically, the prosumer market, though, is like what you're talking about: it's people with a lot of money but no talent. <laughs> That's what you're saying. Like, yeah, yeah. Or like it's it's like selling gym memberships, and people think like, okay, if I get this tool, then I'll really get down to business and. Right, right, right. No, that's a really good comparison. That's a good point. Um, as yeah, because I, you know, like originally, like punk music wasn't like built on top of great tools. It was like no, it was anti-pro. Yeah, anti-pro. It's like let's feed the audio back in through itself to destroy yeah. it, or like let's yeah. crunch this, or like there's and there's lots of you know musicians that have done great work just with like I I was stunned to hear like you know chip music and Game Boys are still being used to make music which I think is like, 
Yeah, the Game Boy is like now what, like twenty five. Yeah, years it's old. like it's like tactile digital music. Yeah, and yeah. and and that's like you know the people that are doing it are super talented. It's not really about the tool in that case. It's about how they're using it or or misusing it. My my sister is a photographer, and she usually has interns who know way more about the tools than she does. So she learns right. from her interns more than she uh, teaches them. Well, this is the tension of anyone's career, right? As you hire people or grow a team, you hire a specialist because they can do it better than you. But when you do that, like suddenly you do your thing less, so you become even worse <laughs> at it. And then one day you're just like you you have you're, you're just telling people what to do, but you have no idea how they're going to get it done. <laughs> yeah, it's also an age thing. I used to always want to have the latest version of the Adobe software. Mm-hmm. And now I'm with CS6, and after that it becomes Creative Cloud, and you need a subscription, which I don't want. Yeah. And I really like CS6, and I use it in a very limited way, so it's fine. But then it even means that buying a new computer doesn't make sense, because the new new computers are more about the GPU and the multi-threading, and I wouldn't even use that. Sure. So, but, but what was interesting, is what I heard is that Adobe always made it kind of easy to crack the software, because they know that young people will make an effort to crack the software and get the latest, and then young people start working at an office, and they're like, I can't work on this old version. Right, this new right. version has all these cool tools. Yeah, yeah. And and so it's a way of getting the... Because old people are always like, Illustrator 5 is fine. I don't need all that fancy-schmancy stuff. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because um, in our office, like one tool replaced the whole creative suite. Um for the designers it was and it's like $99 is it Pixelmator or something no it's like it's called Sketch and it just like came along okay and it's, it's like a web de- it's basically a web design tool yeah it's basically a UX or UI design tool but it's very yeah. specialized in that area and because people were using Illustrator which is like designed to make illustrations that was like or you know or, <laughs> or InDesign which was yeah. made to use books to, to make books yeah and often it reminds me that like tools are um, often not used for or they're misused or they're not used for what they're intended but that's when new things happen right so no mm-hmm. one knew that there needed to be a UX design tool and still people started using Illustrator to do it um, yeah. that way but and in then, retrospect you're like yeah uh, the bread and butter is that UX? So we definitely need a tool for that. Yeah, but I was also thinking, like, as an artist, when I was in school, I, and a few times since then, like, I've met people who like really encouraged me to misuse the tool. Like, that's part yeah. of my responsibility, right? So it's like, break it or ha- you know, hack it or like make it do something it wasn't designed to do. That in itself is like a kind of um, art making. It's also a critical way of using the tool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Namjoon Pike, who I mentioned earlier, he did that, like where he put like a magnet on a TV as an example, or he, or well, even it's, just it's it's very chill when you decide to mess up the tool because then you're not trying to be perfect. Yeah, yeah. Like ex- imagine the opposite of Namjoon Pike and someone who made all this effort to make video look like film, and you spent all this time and it's yeah. <laughs> it never worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. Namjoon Pike is like, no, video is video. It's cool. I like all the distortion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like. It's a little bit more honest, almost, to misuse it to to reveal uh, to reveal. I think Jody has always been really good at that, you know, getting um, subverting is, the tools. Subverting the tools, yeah. Like for the longest time, their website would like crash your computer, and yeah. Um, my I, favorite, I, always, I always like making websites that work on any computer. Yeah, they have the opposite philosophy to you. How good make websites that break your computer? But actually, they they do spend a lot of time 
redoing the code all the time because the new browsers come out. So the, it has to crash in a specific way. It's not that they just make something and like, oh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. They so make it's it more so. sophisticated than you think. Mm. I, I didn't, I mean, I, yeah, I guess I took that for granted, but I think my favorite piece they have is like really, they only did once or twice and I've never seen it in person, but I saw documentation of it once and it was like keyboards that they put skateboard trucks on and like wired up to Twitter so that like when you're doing kick flips you're tweeting <laughs> and you're just tweeting like random characters. <laughs> and it's not like the idea of a because keyboard. Because why not? Yeah, like a keyboard as a skateboard is just like, ah, oh, it's so brilliant. <laughs> it's just so cool and effortless. That's the other yeah. thing. Like if you can be effortless with a tool, it's like that's the coolest thing you can do in my mind. Like Yeah. He's I, like, I I there's definitely been I think most of my uh, I'm trying to remember, but maybe all of the work I've made has really come out of available tools. Not that I had an idea and would then find the tool. So I started making websites because I had a computer, not the other way around. And I started making uh, haikus or haiku because I had a mobile phone with the notes app. And mm-hmm. I thought that makes sense on the phone. Yeah. I, I would not have made it if I didn't have the phone. And I started making textile works because I was in Turkey and they were like oh we have all these craftspeople. do you want to yeah. work with them I'm like yeah oh yeah well, let's make some tapestries so it, it's what's definitely available for me yeah I, I mean there's opposite people where like a George Lucas type of person who is like I have this incredible story to tell let's build the tools mm-hmm. yeah I mean I've always just used what was available and then over the last little while you know last little while I've had a little bit more money and I've often been like oh yeah i should just get this like expensive thing and i don't let's get it gold plated it it never really pushes me forward but sometimes i especially with like cameras and stuff i'm you know like ah should i try and make it look good but then a little piece of me is lost every time i do that i feel like because i'm not being like what's available is almost like part of my identity whereas the thing i actively go out and purchase i think there's also there's a thing when you get older that you are comfortable with the tools of your youth and that <laughs> I don't know do, do you ever yeah. feel like that well like well no but the thing is you become a master of a certain tool right and it's yeah. like when you become a master you can do things with a tool that an ordinary person couldn't do the, often the tool reveals itself to you slowly over time and it's like you know it takes five years to master anything right but That's so the, you, you you know the ins and outs of the Wiimote and then if, yeah, the, like if I, it, but if a new Wiimote comes out or another 3D uh, interface tool, would you be excited or like, oh, I just love the Wiimote? Well, yeah, that's an interesting, like the new Connect example, I think is like, it's a lot harder to use than the old one. It's like better in a lot of ways, but it's also worse. Well, that's um, the interesting thing about technology because it's, it, it's supposed to always get better, but sometimes new versions, they add too many features and it actually becomes uh, less usable. Yeah, like the old one's like $10 used. You can like bash it around. It's like really cheap, like dirty <laughs> video yeah. that does the job. And I know all the faults in it. And it never yeah, and surprises me. Yeah, a lot of old, old web cameras have nice artifacts in their shittiness. Yeah, yeah. Like that, that webcam aesthetic is not possible anymore because our webcams look too good now. So you can't yeah. tell if it was shot on a phone or a webcam. Anyway, you can't even see what, you know, I loved when the webcam was evocative of the device it was recorded on. Cause I always thought of the, you know, future performance for the camera for me was always like the webcam or the laptop itself was the camera, but it's impossible to imply that anymore. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Well, you can just get an old computer. 
That's true, but I find that I always makes me cringe when people like bring out like I'm yeah, using this I know what like nineteen nineties thing. And it's like, why are you working so hard? It's like uh like kids that listen to LPs and you're just Yeah, like, but the the turnover of, of tools now is so fast that um when you think about uh printing like art printing, like uh, lithography and etching and monoprints these tools would come up like once every 50 or 100 years and they would research them in depth and then they're like there's specific character to etching that goes back 400 years and yeah it, so there's specific characters to tiny lenses and maybe it only existed for 15 years but no, you're there's, right. there's still beautiful things you could do with a tiny lens but I I I know what you mean with vintage digital technology it can be very corny Yeah, it's just like, why are you using that? Like, it's actually costing you more to use that. And if it's yeah. not about that, suddenly... But sometimes it, 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 there's still something to be found in an old tool that's already discarded. Well, I will say this, like Namjoon Pike and uh, worked with other people, including this uh, guy, Abe, and they created like synthesizers. Um, video they were, synthesizers? Yeah, video synthesizers. They create their own tools, like own electronic uh, tools. And there was a residency you could do for a while in upstate New York at this place called ECT, which was really cool. And you could go and like use these tools from the 70s and 80s um, that they had actually made. Like the artist tool, the artist had made these tools and you as another artist could go and use these tools. And I thought that that was amazing. I only know one, I know one artist that Marissa Olson went one year and she used this thing called the Wobulator. Um, to make a new work but I could never figure out what I would do if I went there because the tool itself was the artwork you know it was like yeah um, uh, and yeah, it's a little it's, bit different than what we're talking about but it's like it has all go, of the context you know you can go to the Warhol factory and use his silkscreen uh, windows and can you no no but if if it was and then you, yeah. <laughs> okay yeah. yeah that just sounds like something you do at a bachelor party I feel like <laughs> And then we're going to go cognac tasting or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I don't know what kind of bachelor parties you go to. But you know what I'm saying. It's like we're going to do an yeah, architectural yeah. tour, then we're going to smoke <laughs> cigars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not every bachelor party is uh, hosted by Ryder Rips, which for the, our listeners, <laughs> Ryder Rips was Raphael's bachelor host and... He should do that for a living, I think. Ryder Rips yeah, is like that, famous he, he was he was the best uh, he was the best bachelor party planner ever. <laughs> There were times that were incredibly awkward. He, he, rent, he rented a school bus for us to go around. And then he played like heavy metal music way too loud for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All these was nerds perfect. in the back. It was really yeah. good. It was funny. Yeah. It was like a, it was almost like an Andy Kaufman sketch at times though. It was like are we in a is yeah. this a joke or is this The really yellow like... school bus is an artistic tool. <laughs> Anyway, we've probably gone over time. If anyone's still listening, we've exhausted. Oh, we have a, a field recording to talk yeah, about. Yeah, we should talk about our field recording. Why don't you introduce it this week? It's from uh, Mr. Timo Faith from the Netherlands. And uh, he recorded a bridge between Queens and Manhattan that he would cycle on. And somewhere on the middle of the bridge, all the elements of the bridge and the wind and the, the sound of the cars come together and. Where's this bridge? Right. It's a it's to the Far Rockaways or something in, in New York. Yeah, I think so. He, he said he he would cycle there, which is a good Dutch person uh, go everywhere. <laughs> uh, but he uh, yeah, it sounds very biblical. I thought it was an interesting recording. He emailed me later and said that he hears voices. He can't help but hear voices. So 
in general know. or in the recording? In the recording, in <laughs> 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 he immediately discredited himself. <laughs> no, in the in the recording, he whenever he's on this bridge, he can't help it. He, it feels like uh, there are these alien voices speaking to him because I commented it sounded like quite alien. Yeah, well, it, it's definitely an intense sound. So uh, enjoy the sound, and uh, we'll be back next week or after Frankfurt. We'll, we'll try to make it. Let's not change topic. This is about the field recording. So uh, yeah. goodbye, and please listen to the field recording. Yeah, and send us your field recordings. We love hearing from you. Yeah, okay. Bye bye. <laughs>